Hi, everybody. Welcome along to episode 63 of Percussion Discussion. Hope you're all well out there. First of all, please check out our social media. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, Twitter, and of course, our world famous YouTube channel. And if you wouldn't mind subscribing, uh, I'd be very, very grateful. It really does help us, help us even. Um, if you prefer to listen on the go, then you can find all of our conversations in podcast form on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. They're free to download and you can listen at your leisure. If you wouldn't mind leaving us a review for those as well, that would also help. On to today's guest, uh, a gentleman who has been playing with the incredible Anthrax since 1983. Also, uh, SOD, one of the originators of the Blast Beat, an incredible drummer, a fabulous artist also, and a really nice guy. It gives me huge pleasure to welcome Mr. Charlie Bonante. So, Charlie, thanks so much for doing this. It's really kind of you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate uh, you doing this for me. Well, hey, I think you're doing it for me rather than that way. But I, I, <laughs> I have to say a big thank you to our, our mutual buddy, John Tempesta, for, uh, for fixing this up. It's very kind of him. Yeah, he just had a birthday a couple of days ago, too. Right. Oh, I suppose you're in different uh, different towns, I guess. So you there was. Uh... Yeah, he's in L.A. I'm I'm here in Chicago. Ah, well, one of those things. But um, yeah, he kindly <laughs> suggested that we should have a chat, and uh, I'm more than more than glad to do so. And uh, obviously, you and John have have quite a bit of history, don't you, over the years? You know, from from when. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> we 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 kind of spent a lot of time together. I mean, we grew up in the same area, so we became friends early on. And uh, you know, I, I I always said that if I was in a position where I started to do things and make things happen, that I was going to try and bring my friends up with me too. And um, and. I did. So I was I'm very happy about all, all of that that happened. But of course, I can only do a certain bit. It was their talent that that took them the rest of the way. Sure, sure. Because obviously, for those that don't know, obviously, um, you gave him job as uh, as your drum tech for, for quite a while, didn't you? Um, yeah. You know, oh, the, I mean, the, the idea behind it was come out, you know, and a gig will find its way to you. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, the band that was uh, out with us, their drummer had a split. And uh, John knew a lot of the stuff and he filled in and they loved him. And bam, yeah. he became a, a part of it. And then, like I said, it was the talent that took him to the next steps. Yeah. because That's how it worked. He's kind of done all right, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. As yeah. He's just, <laughs> and he's a great dude. That's the thing. His personality uh, is infectious. So when when you meet him, you immediately feel like you've known him forever, too. You know? Yeah, I get that. But there's one there's one story that um, he he I love the way he tells it, and he still it bugs him to this day. When you did the um, the video at the Hammersmith Odeon. Back in eighty six, eighty seven. I'm not sure which. If it was eighty seven, yeah, eighty seven. When the um, when you've got one uh, pinstripe on the floor, Tom, instead of a, a <laughs> he said, I still, I it still bugs me that you know, and and, and I think that's brilliant, you know. <laughs> yeah, it never bothered me. Um, you know, uh, sometimes a drum just doesn't want a certain head on it, and that drum just not sound good with a certain 
uh, uh, model of uh, of a head. So it was a pinstripe for that that day, you know. Yeah. Because that's that's the one thing about drums too. Um, venue to venue, uh, they, they change. You know, it's wood, and some venues the drums sing. Some venues the drums found, uh, sound like they're being choked. Um, so. Yeah, you got to figure out which heads work. Yeah, of course. Best for you know, you know, yeah. you know the story. <laughs> I mean, you, you speaking of drums, I wouldn't normally talk too much about equipment. I tend to steer away, steer away from it. But you've been incredibly loyal to Tama for a hell of a long time, haven't you? You really have. Have you ever, have you ever used another brand? Have you have you with Tama from the very beginning? Well, I. Okay, so growing up, <clears throat> I um, I played Gretsch drums, mm-hmm. and I, I've always loved the way Gretsch drums sound, and of course Ludwig as well. But um, so for our first three records, that's that was my Gretsch kit, mm. um, and then Tama approached me, and I've always been a huge fan of Tama drums and hardware. Sure. One thing about Tama, man, they make the best hardware. They're, they were one of the the, uh, the companies that back in the day, man, you, you, you know, if you could only get your Toms to sit like this with, with a lot of other companies with Tama, you can get them where you liked it. You know, they they just had that movement. And that was the one thing that I always loved about them. But yeah, um, I started with them maybe 86 and we've been together ever since. Same with Peisty. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's it's yeah. rare that rare that you see somebody have that kind of loyalty for so long, and and you know it's great to see. Uh, yeah, I, I love them. They they make great products, and they sound great. They look great, yeah. and they 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 make me sound great. Well, they certainly do. Uh, I think you have a, a small input there as well, but you know, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. So you said the first three records. So among the living, they they were they Gretsch drums on there then. Wow. Okay. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. my, my introduction to Anthrax was uh, Among the Living. That was the first album I heard. And uh, I'm going to go back to, I think it was, uh, I've written the date down. Where is it? October the 29th um, in 1987, Liverpool Royal Court. Uh, and I, I came to see a testament blew me away, first of all. Uh, incredible. And then I thought, I was listening to this album and I thought, there's no way they can't recreate this live, the double bass in Among the Living in the song. And I remember yeah. just being absolutely blown away with that. It was just wow, incredible. It was a hell of a tour, wasn't it? It really was. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's hard for me to remember certain aspects of, uh, of, of, that, of those tours or that, that, that time. Um, and then once someone starts to talk to me about it, it almost the cop cobwebs start to go away, and then I start to see it again. And um, I have uh, fond memories of that tour because, for me especially, um, England as a whole, for me growing up was always somewhere where I always looked to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, musically speaking it would always inspire me Mm -hmm. and when i was old enough i would go down to greenwich village in manhattan 
And there was a store called Bleeka Bob's. And I would always go down there to buy sounds and NME to find out what was going on before everybody else did, because I always felt England's just, they know it all, you know? And um, I, I, I'm not lying. And I would always um, order stuff. Uh, like I remember buying my first bullet belt because I was such a huge motorhead fan. And I never forget the day it came <laughs> and like, all that stuff and i i did and then when i had a chance to go the first time and play there it was huge it was huge to me and then we played the hammersmith palais it was our first time ever playing and lemmy came to the show wow. and it was it was a weird it was just it was it was surreal there's lemmy and <laughs> Me being such a huge Motorhead fan, it was uh, it was just a moment, you know. And it was just like, ah. And I remember our our label at the time, Island Records. Uh, Debbie Walker, she was our publicist there, and she knew about the Motorhead thing of Motorhead, and I think she got Lemmy to come, and uh, it was just a great time. But yeah, I've always looked to England for for inspiration because some of my heroes uh, came from. Mm. you know and to this day you know i always check check that you know anything from you know the beatles uh yeah. to, to 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 motorhead you know to the sex pistols you know to the stones it's like it all came from england <laughs> oh sometimes I, I i think we forget how much has come from from our own country over here you know and, and how lucky we are to be amongst it all and yeah it's it often takes somebody like yourself to to, to kind of to, to, to mention it and then you go oh yeah we, we, yeah it's all come from over here a lot of it well because you guys embraced the 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 american blues and and I, we didn't uh you guys appreciated it and then what you did with it is you made it your own and and made it sound like nothing else mm. um and Oh, to me, it's 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 so inspiring that someone like Keith Richards, who who's created uh, music that that ha has stood the test of time, and to this day, still name checks Chuck Berry as someone who, without Chuck Berry, there'd be no Rolling Stones. So, I have to give that back to, yes, Chuck Berry, but I have to bring it to England to say, okay, without this these chain of events we wouldn't have the music that we have nowadays. And a lot of us wouldn't be here. Look, if it wasn't for the Beatles, uh, you know, a lot of it wouldn't be here today. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, that, and, and that's a fact. It's not a feeling. It's a fact. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you're talking about Motorhead. Is some of your double bass influence come from Filthy? That would have, you know... Uh, it, it was a, it's a different kind of era then wasn't it you know something like overkill for example um well that song in particular the live version because hmm. the studio version is a little more you know it's a little slower and a little more controlled but yeah. the live version of overkill where i was like what is he doing you know and it was something that i wanted to know how he was doing it i had to do it um but there's been key moments in, in my life where I heard something and it triggered something in me that I have to do this. Uh, Simon Phillips mm. on the Judas Priest album, uh, Sin After Sin, 
Simon's playing is awesome on that record. Uh, Terry Bozio, UK Live, killer. Uh, I stole a bunch of things off of that record. <laughs> um, uh, Phil Taylor, you know, uh, No Sleep to Hammersmith, yeah. is playing on that record. Is, is He's a beast. Yeah, so um, and then, of course, the band Accept with the song Fast as a Shark, which I always talk about. That was like kind of my audition for the band. Like, can you play Fast as a Shark? <laughs> you know? And um, because at the time, that was the fastest double kick. Yeah, yeah, of course. And that was like 82. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. 83, some of that time. So, uh, yeah. So these are moments that to this day I still like embrace. Yeah. No. <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, you, you've you've taken that double bass and, and you and Dave Lombardo in particular, I think at the time, have taken it to a whole other level. I mean, Among the Living was the one, as I mentioned earlier, which it, it gets along, doesn't it? That that's It's a challenging kick part, let's be honest. Well, I think the thing, okay, so Among was, was fast, but the thing that I think the song that people forget, which predates a lot of, you know, that drumming style was a song on our second album called Gung Ho, mm-hmm. which was, which, which is uh, the BPM is, is, is in the two hundreds. I think it's, it's fast. Yeah. Um, and, and then there's stuff on the SOD record too, which is pretty fast. Um, but, um, but I agree. I think uh, myself and Dave, we, we started a new style and new level of drumming. Mm, yeah. And, and out of the, I don't know if this is still a phrase people use, but the big four, uh, you two definitely most alike style-wise, I think, you know, uh, a million miles away from what Lars Ulrich does. He does his thing and he is Metallica and it wouldn't be right without him, you know, but but you and Dave, I think, have a very similar, similar style. Not the same, but similar. Not the same, but I think we, uh, I, I, I get it. But I also would put Lars in with us too, because Lars had these parts in their songs that were, man, he, he, he thinks really well. Hmm. Like, I love that. I love that piece right there. Um, like there's this section in, um, what song is it? It's like, uh, I think fight fire with fire hmm. where it's just Lars. Uh, the guitars fade out and he's just doing this fast double kick. And uh, it kind of moves you, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's such a, it's such a heavy section, such a heavy part, you know, but yeah, he, he always thought, well, you know, I always said that. Yeah. He has, he has a unique, he, he has a really unique thumbprint. Definitely. He like the way he t- he'll turn a beat upside down almost and just, and it still feels really comfortable, you know, but uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I think for my money, uh, I, I 1986 to 87 was one of the best times for music for me. And I'm sure it <laughs> yeah. was for you as well. I mean, you look at the hours, Master of Puppets, Among the Living, um, what else? Uh, Rain in Blood, just an incredible period. Did you did you feel it at that time? Did you think this is something special or, 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 or you know, did you just kind of go with the flow there? No, I think we were just kind of learning and mm. and, and going and I think we always felt that we had something to prove uh, to like the masses, not to each other, but, uh, and I always thought it was so amazing that, you know, the bands you just mentioned 
we were all part of this movement and we were all included in this movement, but yet we all had these different styles, but yet it was part of the whole thing. And like the three albums that you mentioned, I think were, were each band's signature record, even though I think people would say like maybe Metallica's black album is a signature record for them, but I don't think I would include it in the batch of, of with, with those records. I think that was a different band. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Then, then, then what the black album, uh, that, that band, you know? Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, and peace sells as well is obviously another, another big album yeah. from the same, yeah. same era. So that year was just an incredible year. And I know, yeah. Um, I know because you were out with um, Metallica for some time, weren't you? On the on the the dam- well, it was the Damage Inc. tour, wasn't it? Which was the Master of Puppets tour. You were, doing- yeah, yeah. I mean, that was. I, I mean, at the time, obviously, um, Among the Living, I guess, wasn't out then. But when you were talking, it was, no, we were still on the end of the uh, spreading cycle. But Among was done. Yeah, yeah. It just hadn't been released. And I think we were going to put a single out. I think that was going to be I'm the Law. I yeah. Believe. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first t shirt I ever bought, by the way, the I Am the Law t shirt. The Judge. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was great, man. <laughs> oh, now I have to talk as well about um, your your relationship with, with Frank Bello, because uh, as far as I can, I, I listen to, I listen to lots of different things and I hear. I hear Nico McBrain, but with 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 double bass, and I hear Steve Harris when I hear <laughs> two of you. And I, I hope that's a, I hope that's a compliment because it's supposed to that's be. That's a that's a good compliment. Yeah, it's it's you you're so tight together, and I like the his bass sound is kind of um a kind of a toppy trebly, uh, a, a similar to Steve Harris, you know, and I, I just find it locks in beautifully with what you play as well. So that's that's my opinion. <laughs> Which is weird because, um, well, it's not weird, but uh, for me, I lock in more with Scott, the rhythm section, and 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 I think Frankie kind of finds his way in there too. Um, whereas, like, I think this is just a funny thing about Iron Maiden. Prior to Cl- uh, to Nico, mm-hmm. Clive Burr was the drummer, yeah. and Clive was like so powerful dude he's just one of my favorite drummers but nico and steve i feel lock in more together Mm. it just they i don't know what it is but i think it's maybe nico's playing with steve but like clive just had this kind of more ferocious style of just propelling the band you know where I think Nico kind of refined them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I, I'm I'm a big Maiden fan as as most people are. But I'm also a, a massive Kiss fan, as I know you are. And I, I heard a, <laughs> I heard a lovely story, and I can't remember if I read it or if I saw it or listened to it about you as a, a as a young lad um, heading along to the audition uh, after after Peter Chris had left. Is there any truth in this? There's a true story. Wow. Um, so I was 16, maybe at the time, 15, 16. And a friend of ours knew that they were having auditions and we went down. Uh, it was like the west side of the village in New York and went up there. And I remember seeing the guys come walking in. And my friend said to 
to to Gene that you should try you should try him out. And Gene looked at me and he's like, he's too young. <laughs> and um, and that was it. And I saw Eric that day too. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Eric was one of the drummers going in there, and um, it was other drummers there too that later on I found out who they were. Yeah. Um, but uh, the following week we went down. Okay, maybe it was a few days later, not a week. We went down there again. And there was no more drummers there, but we did see Kiss walk in and Eric was with them now. Fantastic. They chose Eric. And that's how we actually found out that they were doing the show at the Palladium. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, The first show with Eric then. Yeah, that that was the rumor that they were going to do a show, but no one knew where it was, where it was going to be held. And, um, we were down there too because we were huge kiss fans and to see them and talk to them you know we would do that a lot and um and then we found out that they're they're going to do a show at the palladium hmm. wow that's a great exciting because the i mean for those i mean i i'm not sure i'm, I'm guessing the palladium is is a, a pretty small venue for kiss at the time because we're talking uh, 1980 79 80 at this point it was 80 and yeah. The Palladium was kind of like uh, like a Hammers Methodian type of yeah. venue. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, coming from what Kiss were, you know, to go into that place. Uh, yeah, it's a smaller venue, but still respectable. Yeah, of know? course. Still. Yeah. yeah. So, did you actually go to the gig then? Oh, yeah, I was there. Yeah. Wow, amazing. Just uh... Yeah. And so... to this day, we can't find any footage from that night. But there's none that exists that you know of. Nope. That's a shame. That's a shame. Which is shocking to me that they wouldn't have filmed his first show. Because, mm. I mean, Eric Carr, uh, I'm lucky enough to have seen Kiss two or three times with Eric, and each time just a majestic performance. Very different to, to Peter Chris, you know, but wow. Two, two different styles um, of drumming, mm. uh, but both uh great oh no no question no question yeah it was a sad loss when uh when eric passed yeah ridiculously bad but um there we go hey now look um i I also want to talk about your artwork which i'm guessing uh we're seeing behind you at the moment some of it now what is there any connection between drummers and artists because there's a few drummers i've spoken to yourself included rob uh, Robbo from Anvil, great artist as well. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, Rob does some great artwork. And uh, Michael Cartalone from uh, Leonard Skinner as well, also a great artist. It, is, there a, is there a connection or is it is it just, just one of those things? Um, possibly, I, you know, I, there's, there's a connection to it. I know a lot of musicians who are also artists. Um, mm-hmm. For me, I've been I've been doing art since I was a little kid. Same with drumming. It was either I was gonna either I was gonna follow my you know dream of being a musician or I was gonna be an artist. Um, and luckily, I kind of found a way to do both. Um, but the thing that I the joy that I get from doing both. Uh, it's uh, it's so rewarding. Although with me doing art is a little more of uh, 
oh, I got to push myself to do it. Whereas the music that comes very easy and natural art comes natural, but I have to really push myself and I have to give my, my girlfriend Carla credit for pushing me mm. uh, to do, to do art more, more so in these last two years than I've ever done before. Yeah. And, and I guess, um, over the lockdown and everything, I guess you've had more opportunities to to do that. I guess you've had more downtime from the music. I guess is that well during the during the pandemic, and you know, I've, I've spoken about this a lot. Um, in the beginning of it, when it first hit here, I was losing my mind, mm. and I was basically going into a, a, a you know a, a funk. I was getting very depressed. And she actually, she's the one that said, you know, you got to shut this off. Stop watching the news. Stop checking your phone, you know, go be creative again. And that's what I did. I shut everything off and I started playing again and I started creating these things, uh, which now are called like these, um, these videos, these quarantine jams mm-hmm. that I started doing and, asking a bunch of my musician friends from all over the place to be a part of. And lo and behold, I ended up making a record that I wasn't even intending on doing. And, you know, it's the record came out in May and it's called silver linings. And it's all those jams that I put together. And it was so much fun to do it because it brought me back to the days of like coming home from school and going into my room and playing my drums, you know, and just enjoying it again. So while the pandemic was hard on all of us, I found silver linings in it all to, you know, um, and there'd be two weeks where I would just be working on music. And then there'd be the next week or two, where I'd just be working on art. And that's how I got through it. And it was very therapeutic and it really helped me along the way. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, the artwork is absolutely stunning. I was I was having a look on your website before. Um, the Eddie Van Halen one. I don't. Is that? Is oh that yeah. That's uh, that's that's one of them that I did. The, the Van Halen, and then when when Neil passed away, I I, I did that one. Stunning. Uh, and um, so, yeah, man, it's like I I have to be inspired. And I have to get excited about it. And then, bam, I'm in a zone. And that's how that's how I like to work. Yeah, that's, that's a good way of doing it. And, you know, when you're out on tour, do you get the opportunity to, to paint then or, or whatever, whatever, you know, whatever you do? So when I'm on tour, I bring my iPad and I have this program in there called Procreate, which I do a lot of this stuff digitally. And I could just go off uh, by myself and just zone out and just and draw and, and just create art. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing stuff. No mess. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, and, and it's easy to, to get around everywhere, isn't it? You know, and um, yeah, it's incredible. Oh, dude, it's, it's incredible. Like you could do so much like uh, long plane rides. I'm just there. John. <laughs> How times have changed there. I'm sure it was a little bit <laughs> oh, <yeah>. 86. <laughs> Hugely different. So uh, what what have you got coming up, Charlie? Have you got any, any any touring coming up? So we have been doing these shows here in America, like these festivals. Um, we have one coming up uh, next week called Aftershock, which is in Sacramento. 
And then we are going to be at the New York Comic Con uh, next weekend as well, doing um, a signing and a Q&A for our graphic novel that came out a couple of months ago. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to that. And then working on a new record, basically. Yeah. Now, I saw a video of you, um, speaking of that, on the, the beautiful red kit. It's very much a Neil Peart kind of... Uh, is that in your... That's, that's what it is. No, that's that's in my studio here in our rehearsal in my house. It's um, so the story behind that kit because uh, people keep asking me about it. We were, were going to do a Neil Peart tribute, um, and this was about maybe a year or so ago. So I asked Tama to make me a replica of his candy apple red kit from the Signals tour, and. They said, absolutely. But it took a while. It, it, it took almost a year to make. So I got it and I set it up and I'm having so much fun with it that I decided to just leave it up and, and create, um, help create these new anthrax songs. So I, I, it brought me back to the days when I used to have a, a bigger kit than I do, but I wanted more drums. So this next album will probably be a lot more drum heavy and drum busy because I'm leaving that kit set up the way it is. And yeah, if the, if the, if the Neil thing does happen, then I'll bring that kit with me. Yeah. But the other thing I want to mention is the silver linings record that I did. Um, the first batch of songs that I was doing were, were all rush related because I was just coming off of uh, the death of Neil and man, it was just, it was like cathartic to play some rush songs. So I asked Alex Skolnick from Testament and Ra from suicidal to, to play. And then my friend, Brandon, who's in the band Crowbot, he, he sang uh, the, the Getty parts, but we have an EP coming out next year. It was going to be coming out November for record store today, but vinyl is so backed up that we had to push it to april of next year and i really want to do some rush related shows with with that kit um so these are all things that i'm kind of putting in the mix and you know mixing it up so I, i'm hoping that to see some of these things come to fruition oh, amazing well i think everyone will look forward to seeing that and hearing it and so the kit it even has the concert toms as well on the is it a six and an eight or something Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I only have one gong drum. I didn't get the, the two like Neil had because I don't have enough space. Um, and of course, the symbols are different, but I do have the little bells and whistles that I didn't put up yet, you know. Um, uh, but the kit sounds so good. I mean, Tama just, fuck, man, they, they, they did such a great job on it. And the thing, too, that, uh, that I mean, me being such a Neil nerd, um, a lot of Neil nerds would know this, but when you go around the toms, you skip over the 12 here because it's tuned differently. It's tuned way higher. Um, so you got to go from the concert toms, skip over uh, that 12 and go directly to the, to the other drums because that drum sounds different. It's tuned, like I said, much higher. I didn't know that. There you go. So yeah. Wow. Nerd. Neil, <laughs> Neil nerd. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. So what do you 
kind of listen to you know when when you're just chilling out what what what's the do you have any go-to music that you that you got i'm gonna to listen to this what what's your thing or do you just still listen to whatever i listen to everything i listen to everything like just the other day i was driving around listening to aqualong <laughs> um um and it, it, it like a lot of times i find that i'll listen to stuff you know, from the past and it brings me back to a time um, because I find that new music just doesn't excite me as much as the other stuff does. And I'm always up for new music. Don't get me wrong. Like, Oh, I can't wait to hear that. Mm. And then sometimes I'm, I'm let down by it. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's like, for me, writing this new anthrax record, it's moving me. And it's 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 making me excited um, because I'm pushing it, pushing, 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 not saying, oh, that's good. That's good. You know, no, no, no. It's got to be great. It's got to fucking push me, you know, and if it moves me and the other guys are excited about it, then I know we have something because then it brings me back to the time when we were all, you know, the hair on our arms would stand up. Yeah. That, but that's great to hear that that you've still got that real enthusiasm for it as well. And, you know, you've got to have that. It's pointless doing it without, isn't it, really? It's just going through the motions. Oh, yeah. Going through the motions. It's, 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 it's man, I, I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to do that. I mean, yeah, there's been times on tour where, man, you know, you're just kind of like, I can't get motivated tonight, you know? And it always takes something to push me and get me to be motivated. But, for me, making new music, man, that excites me more than anything. And um, I'm I'm still so hungry for it. And like I said, I I'll just say, man, it's got to be better. It's got to be better. Got to push. Got to push. You know. Fantastic. Well, look, Charlie, I think that's a great place to end up. Thanks so much for your time, and really, really appreciate it. And I know everybody who's going to watch and listen to this, if they've listened on the podcast, really going to appreciate it too. So uh, thanks for your time. Uh, hopefully, oh, thank you. We'll see you over in the UK before too long, with a bit of luck. Um, yeah, man. We uh, we have a a tour booked uh, next year. Starts end of September. There it is. Fantastic. Thanks, Charlie. Have a great cool, week, man. Thank you, you too. See you later. Thanks very much. Bye-bye now. Cheers.